2020 Network is brought to you by Interac. For nearly 35 years, Interac has brought the most innovative payment technology to Canada. Today, Interac is building on its track record of innovation in some exciting new ways. Find out how they're changing the game at developer.interact.ca. Hello, it's Friday, November 16th, and my goodness, is it ever snowy in Ottawa? Uh, in the studio today, luckily they made it into the studio, I've got Murad Hamadi of The Logic and Mary Danielle Smith of The National Post. You guys made it here. I'm, like, very surprised. It's kind of strange. Although, Ottawa always goes through this, you know, this, like, the first time the snow comes down, everyone goes into, like, panic. So, I mean, we're used to it. Right? This is an intense first snowfall, This is This is... This is an intense first snowball. I'm glad it's break week, because otherwise there would be a lot more cars <laughs> on the street. <laughs> you were going to get your press pass, you said. I was trying to get my press pass, yeah. It's been a bit of an ordeal, but I'm now reaccredited. Oh, so good! You can keep reporting. can get on the hill. It only yes. took two months. I know. I took an Uber this morning. I'm a wuss. I just was like, ah, screw it. I'm taking Uber my Uber. It probably would have taken less time for me to walk, but it's fine. Um, okay, let's get into the, the headlines of the week. Um, it was announced, I think it was Wednesday, that Toronto lost the bid to be the new home for Amazon's HQ2. It lost to two major American hubs, New York and Virginia. Um, it was... Uh, I think it was New York's Long Island and Virginia, Northern um, Virginia. It was uh, said to bring about some 50,000 jobs, which are now being split equally between the two selected spots. Um, so a bit of a loss for Toronto in that regard. But the mayor and others are saying, you know, actually the fact that we that Toronto got this far is a win in and of itself. Um Toronto is is now playing in the big leagues. Is that is that fair to say, Murat? <laughs> with with uh, you know other big tech hubs? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a particular surprise that it didn't end up being Toronto, only because you know the political considerations and the the infrastructure considerations. Crystal City in uh, Virginia, mm. about which I've spent three days trying to make like a Wizard of Oz Emerald City <laughs> joke. It I haven't found it yet. It's there somewhere. It's there. It's there. There's no place like home. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> but uh, Northern Virginia is actually one of Amazon's big sort of data transfer points. So they've got like some 29 data centers in okay. Northern Virginia already. Um, and so it makes sense for them to stick a bunch of employees there. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of what this comes down to is some matrix between, you know, tax incentives, um, the town pool in a city, um, and then this existing infrastructure. But um, the best argument that Toronto seemed to have um, for it, for that HQ2 leaving the U.S. was that Jeff Bezos and Donald Trump seem to have some kind of yes. brewing, uh, I don't know, uh, Cold War right. uh, <laughs> proxy fight. And, uh, you know, for for all the great things about Toronto, the talent pool, the, uh, the quality of life, the fact that it's not in the United States right now, uh, the best argument that anyone seemed to be able to put up was that that for Amazon leaving America was Jeff Bezos really wants to piss Trump off. Mm. That is not the way that a man who is frequently the richest in the world makes business decisions. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, certainly the publicity has been good and Toronto is certainly trying to capitalize on it. They've yeah. made a bunch of claims about the amount of exposure that they got and what came of it um, that some people have been skeptical of. But, um, 
you know, being on that list certainly doesn't hurt. No. And not getting the bid is not the end of the world. There's lots of homegrown tech in Toronto. I saw a cute sign because Markham was part of the bid. Mm-hmm. And it was like there was a sign under the Markham sign that said, like, possibly the next home of Amazon's <laughs> second headquarters. I mean, yeah. It was very cute. But also, like, it's important to note those, those other um, locations in the States had put up Big incentives too, like billions of dollars of in, of tax incentives, right? Yeah, and so the the winning uh, the winning cities, so New York um, and Virginia, some combination of governments there between them put up about two point eight billion dollars in incentives. Um, now, other cities offered more. There was a city in Maryland that offered eight point five billion dollars oh, wow. in incentives and infrastructure upgrades. So they didn't just pick the biggest the biggest tax break. Um, but it's certainly true that Amazon expects tax breaks to come into communities. And, uh, you know, that's not uh, – the Canadian governments uh, – Canadian governments in general, their their tactic is more what they call investments, mm. which is usually grants or, like, uh, favorably termed loans. Right. Um, they're not super in the business of specific – high-value tax incentives normally. Uh, so this isn't really the playbook for a Canadian sort of attracting these big uh, these big companies. It's all more often putting up money rather than, you know, opting not to take money. Um, but, you know, Toronto's still got things going for it. I mean... Yeah, Toronto. The Shape Woo. of Water was shot there. <laughs> as a friend of mine put it on a... On a, you know, on a modified Toronto sign, you know, we made that fish sex movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Yeah, it was. It was a fish sex movie. And, you know, so the, there's lots going on in Toronto. There is. <laughs> there's, there's Amazon's now in Ottawa, too. Like, there's a big new... Or they're coming to Ottawa. There was a big new facility, right? They're building a fulfillment center. A fulfillment yeah. center. And there was controversy because, I mean, everyone... There's this, this, this argument, right? Like... Okay, so these multinationals come to Canada, they steal our brain talent. Others argue, um, you know, like actually, like Eric Schmidt, for example, with Sidewalk Lab stuff was like, well, actually, you know, uh, we create tons of jobs. So there's this, this, um, this long argument that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. No, and and uh, I think MD, you were just around a bunch of people having yeah. this very argument. That's right. You 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 led this panel yesterday. Yeah. So I mean, there are a lot of tech CEOs in Canada who are very upset about the federal government strategy to try and lure or attract big foreign companies into Canada, because the tech job sector is already pretty much at full employment. So you can promise that a lot of jobs are going to be created by you know, a new Amazon headquarters in Toronto. And I guess the yellow brick road didn't end there, but it's not really true. It's more like you're taking jobs that would maybe have gone towards Canadian tech companies and putting them at branch plants of major tech giants who are then going to sort of bring those benefits and revenues back to their headquarters in the U S often enough. So there's a good argument to be made and that a lot of people are making that if you want your own domestic industry to succeed, then this is not where you should be going. You should be actually inviting Canadian experts and Canadian CEOs and, and some of the people that I you know, was talking to in Toronto yesterday to 
give their own ideas for policies in Canada and to sort of expand their own operations here. Yes, that makes sense. I remember I was I was at an um, entrepreneurial meetup. It was called Fresh Founders the other week, and this entrepreneur was there from he he had gone to Queens, was born in Montreal, raised in Montreal, and then founded this company uh, and went over to the states, went to Silicon Valley. And his one message to the entrepreneurs in the audience was, "Go where the money is," and that's not here apparently for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, so it's like, why not invest in, in some of the co- uh, the companies here to make them as big as the competitors. So uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, issue. Um, the the whole economic side of it, the tax competitiveness side of it. So the fall economic update is expected for next week. It's Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday. Uh, so what can we expect in terms of tax competitiveness? Please stay tuned in. Uh, not n- <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is going to be fun. Um, the uh, not not much in the way of direct corporate tax cuts. So um, last year, the big signature initiative of the Trump administration so far, uh, beyond sort of keeping a lot of journalists in the U.S. employed, which <laughs> you know, like nobody else has been able to do that. So. Um, is um, these tax cuts. So the corporate tax rate in the U.S. was dramatically cut. Um, You know, there's some sort of nuance here, but basically it went from 35% to 21% um, with these uh, new rules. Um, And what that meant for Canada is that Canada historically has had a pretty uh, competitive corporate tax position. Um, You know, the Trump tax rates turned, tax cuts turned what had been on average sort of like a eight-point advantage into a seven-point deficit. So we went from being far better than them to far worse than them kind of overnight. Um, And as a consequence of that, business lobby groups and a lot of, like, you know, average entrepreneurs have been saying, Canada needs to follow suit. Maybe not that dramatically, but needs to do something. Um, And the argument is that businesses... As you say, businesses will go where the uh, where the sort of economic conditions are best, and so businesses are leaving the country because um, they can get a better tax rate in the states. The states is not that far away. A lot of other things are similar. It's pretty easy to move. Now, I should say we have not really seen overwhelming evidence that this is happening. A lot of people have a lot of sort of more. Um, you know, uh, economically conservative commentators have said they know of a CEO who's doing it. Yeah. There are never names in these stories. We have no data on it so far. Um, certainly what we can say with confidence is that there's been a lot of talk about this. Um, and so since January, um, Bill Morneau has been saying we're studying the issue. Now, we have some indications of what they're actually going to do because I was at this event a couple of weeks ago. It's been a long month. <laughs> um, a little while ago um, with Navdeep Bains, right. uh, where uh, the minister said, you know, um, basically, uh, I don't remember his exact words, but effectively said, we're not going to cut the corporate tax rate to match Trump's cuts. And finance has sort of telegraphed this before. What they seem to be looking to do is make more sort of targeted cuts. So mm. like uh, when you make an investment, the amount of time it takes for you to uh, 
to write off the capital depreciation on an asset. So the value of an asset goes down over uh, time. As it gets older, um, they're going to be able to write that off faster. Um, These are sort of targeted cuts that they're making. An interesting thing, one thing that Mr. Bain said that did catch my ear, he said, in the past when we've had we've been tax competitive when we've had a tax advantage businesses have not invested in r&d and innovation they have basically just sat on the money this is like this i'm not going to replay this flight this was like the big fight of the mark carney bank of canada era but um it does sort of suggest that all the stuff that we're talking about you know amazon hq2 like investing in domestic businesses um they're looking to industry to signal that they will do good things with the money that they're given um so the exact details of course i'll be in the lockup on wednesday and we'll see what happens but um that seems to be where we're going right now yeah i mean i think it would be irresponsible for us to go to the level to the extreme that the u.s has gone that yes way. and so um my colleague at the logic zane schwartz had this piece a little while ago with some documents where um the government projected that for every percentage point they cut the corporate tax rate so the rough rate in canada is like when you average it out it's about 27 percent for every point that they cut it so from 27 to 26 and so on the government would lose two billion dollars in revenue mm-hmm. um this at a time when we're running large deficits and the trump tax cuts have certainly contributed to historic deficits in the United States, which is funny for a supposedly fiscal conservative president. (laughs) But Murad, you're also saying that uh, the Democrats in the House have started talking about reversing that. So, I mean, if that is a signal as to the Democrat position in 2020, then why would Canada sort of put the cart before the horse here? For sure. And, uh, you know, the the House has been retaken by Democrats. House Democrats are saying that they want to raise rates. It's notable that this House Democrat class is a little more left-leaning than we've seen historically. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the way that American politics works, they're not going to succeed. The rate is not going up no. in until the Senate changes hands, conceivably until the presidency changes hands. But you're right. Uh, it does undercut the case of businesses here because we could make these moves and then in two years um, the Democrats could restore our tax competitive position for us. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, you know, again, I come back to, uh, I have not seen any evidence that there's this mass migration happening. And if it starts happening, then we would see it. We would see the effects and uh, I'm I'm waiting for someone to point me in in the direction of them. Mm -hmm. And like, you have to think that culture and lifestyle and other things also come into play with these decisions hugely for entrepreneurs and business owners who... Um, are debating whether or not to go south. For sure. Um, You know, do you want to live in in the United States right now? Like, there are lots of people for whom that would be fine. I can think of some people for whom it wouldn't. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, so it's, you know, yeah. Anyway, okay, uh, social media giant Facebook is under the spotlight again. Actually, I don't know if they've ever left the spotlight. I think it was just like a dimmer spotlight. Um, They, uh, the New York Times has produced a very lengthy, I like this thing was like a novel report, um, highlighting that executives Mark Zuckerberg and, and um, Sheryl Sandberg um, were dismissive or shrugging off the possibility of Russian interference in, in just the 2016 election, is it or around that time. Around that time, yeah. Um, it sounds like they both kind of, um, you know, consciously or unconsciously brushed this off and chose not to disclose it 
publicly. And then they, and I keep going back to the strategic line that they use. You know, we were slow to react. Um, we stumbled. It's, it's a very good PR line because it's so um, general. Like, I don't know if there was a point for you guys in this report that stuck out. Was it the, the PR campaign? Was it what kind of did you take from all this? Well, I, I really like their lead. Their lead talks about um, Sheryl Sandberg getting really pissed off. Yes, that their um, who was it? The head of security. Yeah, yeah. Um, had told board members more details than she wanted him to about Russian interference. This was back in 2017, right. um, and before a lot of the stories came out about how data was compromised and how um, the platform was being used quite aggressively by Russian influencers. Um, yeah, it like it kind of um, it, it gave good descriptions of their personalities. I it found. just shows like how aggressively they were trying to avoid this issue becoming public. Yes, and and it just shows the sort of years of damage control that they've been devoting yeah. to this, and and the intense lobbying effort in Washington that's described in this report. It's so interesting how, you know, they hire people who used to work for Jeff Sessions or people who, you know, are very closely tied to Chuck Schumer. And and they try to get the narrative swinging in their direction so far as hiring like a conservative opposition research firm to spread, I mean, quote unquote, fake news and often based on facts, but like to basically spread propaganda on their behalf. Yeah. While they're fighting this propaganda problem within I themselves. Was just about to say, it's they, so ironic. They created this this tool that could to, could do that and spread fake news and then they did that within their own tool. Like it was it's it's just so staggering. I mean, I think I'm confused as to where George Soros comes into this. Can someone provide me some clarification? Um, you know, uh the <laughs> well, uh so <laughs> George Soros has said some things about the tech giants. He's sort of staked out a position about their power that's um, sort of broadly opposed uh, to their to the, the growing power that these companies have. And um, as best as best as anyone can tell, this group that they hired um, was trying to draw links between a fairly um, prominent anti-Facebook group uh, and some of the organizations that um, George Soros and his family's wealth and foundation support. Trying to draw links between your opposition and George Soros is a tactic that's, uh, that, you know, we've seen a fair <laughs> bit of recently. Uh, and, uh, you know, very often those links are drawn in, like, explicitly or implicitly anti-Semitic ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember whether it was Zuckerberg testifying or Sandberg testifying, but in one of these instances, there were people sitting behind them in the camera shot who were holding up these posters of, um, like, an octopus circling the world with the faces of Zuckerberg and uh, Sandberg on the octopus. Now, um, Zuckerberg and Sandberg are both of, from Jewish backgrounds, um, and the octopus circling the world is like up there in the anti-Semitic tropes. Like it's like it's like on your top ten list. What we basically got is a is like the the effects of Facebook that we keep talking about. The sort of fake news, the anti-Semitism, the Islamophobia, all of these these like all the 
the like hate speech and quasi hate speech and yeah. conspiracy theories and all the things that have been fueling our discourse and that we've been talking so much about colliding with the company itself. Like yeah. it's the whole thing, the and, whole thing just in one. Um, it just feels like a big mess. However, I don't know that this is going to change Facebook use at all. Well, there was there was like a movement at some point where a lot of people decided to delete their profile, but like that that seems to be over and the yeah. evidence still keeps kind of mounting that this is a platform used for election disruption purposes and I, I'm not seeing the same kind of knee jerk reaction to this report just yet. I think I think what's interesting too about this whole conversation is that we end up treating Facebook as like a quasi government. Yeah. And we end yeah. up treating it as like um something that we can hold it to account for right. for these kind of issues but we have to remember that it's a private i mean it's a company it's a for-profit company, company and i think we should probably stop expecting them to act in the public interest when they don't have to that's like true. that's not i mean there's a lot of other issues that that have been brought up about facebook and that the company was aware of for a long time that it didn't necessarily act on for example in India and other countries, there have Facebook has been used as a way to actually gather literal hate mobs, and there have been killings based on fake news spread through Facebook, and we haven't seen a whole lot of action on that either. So this is a global issue, and it's kind of like a, you know, it's a quasi-state. It's got 2.2 billion people connected on it. So yeah. like, but we have to stop treating it as though it's a government. Yeah, you're right, and it like it it transcends boundaries, and so it it does feel. Um, sort of unmanageable in in some way. Um, One thing that I would just watch for is, you know, you, you were talking about their statement and they keep saying, yeah. like, we were slow to react. There's a lot of, like... We got it wrong, but we'll do better, trust yes. us. And one of the things that um, they often do is, um, and I've seen it in, in Canada as well to some degree, Facebook likes to talk about itself as a small company, as a growing company. I made you know, it in my dorm room. Yeah, I made it in my dorm room. I made it yeah. in my dorm room mm-hmm. is the line that, that Zuckerberg repeated time after time after time at that Senate hearing. This is not a small company. Like the 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 lobbying efforts that that New York Times story uh, depicts, um, Facebook is one of the top corporate lobbyists in the United States. Um, it, there, it's easier to track these things because money it, it's directly money. But like, it is not feasible. It is not realistic. It is an insult, frankly, to the intelligence of people who are regulating and covering this company yeah. to, for. To continue to say we are a small company, this mm-hmm. is not a small company, no. and it needs to be held to the standards that that you would hold a large company to. Yeah, it's not just this cute little social media platform that like you could like somebody and blah blah blah. No, this is like has huge implications. Okay, lastly, we're gonna have some fun with this one, <laughs> and like a little disclaimer here: I am a huge fan of this woman's music, um, but my God, Celine Dion did something this week that I'm not sure can really be explained. She launched her <laughs> gender-neutral clothing line through a really bizarre ad, and we watched it before we started recording here, and I think we all we all laughed. We all had a good chuckle. She blows tinsel or <laughs> glitter, glitter yeah. at a bunch of defenseless children who don't have muscle control because they've just been born and so cannot like spit out the glitter that may have gone into their mouths How are you going to clean noses? that room? How do you clean it? Like the whole point <sighs> of 
a baby incubation room. <laughs> babies are protected from the outside world. <laughs> yeah. Like, Maybe they're what? arresting her for the glitter. Yeah. Like, oh, that's you know? true. And like her, you're like you said, her bag was really big. It's a hold. very big bag with a very small <laughs> box inside it. It's very conspicuous. Clearly, her only defense is I'm Celine Dion. Look, I know she's and a she national- uses that defense three times. She does. Three times. <laughs> three times. And can we talk about the name? Like, I don't. Celine. New, there's three news. New, new, new. <laughs> I. I don't know. Um, uh, laughs aside, gender-neutral clothing line. Um, for children. For children. Yeah. Yeah. This it's, is it's, why there are babies in pink and blue clothing that are suddenly right. now wearing black and white clothing <laughs> after she sprinkles the glitter dust into their faces. And it's like a, what is it, like a cross sort of? It's like, it's a, like a plus sign. Plus sign. Yeah. Yeah. There's but- also a shirt that says New Order, and that prompted <laughs> me to listen to a lot of New Order this morning. Can I, can I chime in for a yes, second? Please. Hey. Um, I loved that the ad seemed to be aware that it could be considered like ridiculous or over the top that she's launching a gender neutral clothing line, you know? And so to sort of, I feel like to almost take the spotlight off of that aspect of it, the ad is just even more ridiculous and over the top. I yeah, think it's actually yeah. a pretty great strategy. I, I really like the ad, actually. Yeah. Like, I yeah. enjoyed it. And you know what? You're right. That's a really good point. Like, we're all talking about it. It's totally on brand for her 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 identity as a as a celeb. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's kind of awesome, actually. Yeah, I loved it. I loved every second. I was I was <laughs> in. I was engaged. You know, like I want to watch it again now. Yeah, I know. And full disclaimer, I have a T-shirt with Cindy <laughs> on it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Same. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah. Canadian no. cultural icon strikes again. Yes. It is interesting to see a celebrity sort of embrace her weirdness. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, like. What is there left for Celine Dion to do at this point? Like the, so much more. Like, God. but <laughs> but I mean, like, what is she? She has nothing left to prove. Like, Celine Dion for governor general is what I'm saying. Oh, yes, yes. <gasps> Thank you, Murad. Thank you, MD. Can I get your Twitter handles, please? At Marie Danielle S. Uh, mine's uh, at M U R A D H E M, and I uh, am going to throw a tiny ad in here. Um, so I work for a new place called The Logic. Yes. And if you go to thelogic.co slash subscribe and you enter the promo code THREAD25, you get 25% off our subscription rate for innovation news from Canada. Go do it. Okay, have a good weekend, everybody. The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interac. Speed is key for Canadian shoppers. Is your business keeping up? It can with Interact Flash. It's the platform that millions of Canadians use to check out quickly and securely. Learn more at interact.ca.